Hi, this is Chuck at Lazarus Recovery Podcast. This is episode 8, promised and predicted, that I am going to do a story about churches. Basically, my travel to churches. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you've enjoyed the previous podcasts. This is going to be about my memory of churches almost as far back as I can remember. You know, I remember a church in New York City. I wasn't too old. And then my dad got a parish in uh, Long Island. And I was, uh, gosh, I was probably four or something like that. I wasn't, uh, I was younger than kindergarten. And he got a little white church interim practicing pastor there. I remember the church wasn't that big. I remember that it was uh, it was backed up against the aqueduct racetrack. It was a very strange thing, you know. He'd be preaching, and then the, the sound would come down off the racetrack, and they're off. I mean, it was very, very weird, because I remember the big steep bank behind the church was up to the racetrack, and you could hear the racetrack activities from from the church and I was a little kid and I don't remember much about it and it was, it was the beginning of a series of little white churches the next church was in Pulteney, Vermont and I was in first grade first second grade there was interesting things in there but the church thing was all I remember is my dad was a pastor and my mom did flute solos I want to say at the church and we lived in a parsonage. We lived in a, a building owned by the church. And I grew up in building owned by churches. They changed every two or three years. I don't remember spiritually much about it. I just knew that it was a church and my dad was in the church business. And that's sort of all I knew. We went on a vacation and he took, took a kid from the church on a vacation with us. It was awkward, but we, we made it through. The next place we went was Vin- Windsor, Vermont. It was in the other side of Vermont. And I loved it because I was Tom Sawyer age and I did every fishing and I did everything like that. And my dad was a, the pastor. We lived in a parsonage on the main drag. I was left to my own devices. I, I ran all over the place. In the, in the winter, I, I, I went with a friend and we went to school and we came back and if there was snow, on this big slope, it was Masonic's Hall. It had a big high slope that ran down to the Route 5. And we used to ride cardboard down that Masonic temple. That was, a, that was my big memory of the winter. In the summer, I just, I just fished. And, but as the church went, it was just a simple Protestant church, wood and stuff like that. All I remember, you know, I don't remember too much about the church and the services, but I do remember that there was a guy in the church who suddenly died of a heart attack. It was my first experience with death because he, I snuck into the church and looked at the casket, and it was like, whoa. But otherwise, I was just Tom Sawyer in that town, left pretty much to my own devices at that point. They had rules, but, I, you know, it was like, be in by dark. Otherwise, they didn't know where I was. I fished and I did a bunch of stuff. I hung out 
I did stuff that was eh, quasi-dangerous. But all that period of time, my mom became ill with stuff, and she was had some operations, and I was just basically, my dad was just preaching and hanging in there, and my little baby brother was put in another household to take care of him because he was really young. He was like a year, two years, three years old. But I was free. I just... I, I, I was just free. But I don't remember much about the church. I remember my dad, and I remember preaching, and I remember the church, and I remember the activities, you know, newspaper drives and bottle drives. And, and we the parsonage was right by the church. It was right next door. I mean, I, I have pictures of it. I can show you pictures of that parsonage. I have a friend that lives in Windsor, and I, or near Windsor, and I go there once a year to visit him because I got sober with him. I walk downtown Windsor because that was my boyhood, my really early boyhood. I mean, I went to Cub Scouts there before we moved again. Little white churches, little white churches. The next place we went was uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, and it was a big brick church in downtown Manchester till they moved out to the suburbs. We lived in a, again, it was, there was nothing, the church didn't make an impact and my dad was there and it was all church stuff, but it never made an impact on me. I was Boy Scouts and stuff, but it never made an impact on me. I remember the buildings and I remember the sort of the comfort of the buildings and they were all wood pews and dark brown wood pews and a little bit of the churchy stuff but made no impression I mean I was like except for a period of time in Manchester I was reasonably okay I had a criminal element I had about a six month period where on the wrong side of legal stuff but uh, I was little I was like fifth and sixth grade Actually, yeah, fifth grade. It was not very exciting spiritually. It wasn't much, you know, but churches were part of my life, you know, obviously because my dad was a pastor. Everything was revolved around the church calendar. Things were crazy at Easter, crazy at Christmas. Summer we got away and people came in and filled the pulpit or whatever. So church wasn't, it never impacted me that much, you know. I mean, I was... I thought God's stuff, and I, you know, I think the major part of the story is that I just never made an impression on me, except that I was a pastor's kid. I didn't know theology. I didn't know anything. I just didn't know much. I didn't know much at all. You know, I didn't. I didn't know a whole bunch a lot of anything. I mean, we moved from Manchester, and we moved to a place called Rye, New Hampshire. And it was, it was a good parish. I mean, it was a very good parish. My dad did very well there. And I ended my high school education there, and I went off to college there. Here's where the story starts to get telling, because I, except for Boy Scouts, I just did church, and not that much. It just didn't impact me that much. I mean, I was familiar. I went on retreats, and I had a few Jesus moments, but they came and they went. I wasn't like an outrageously illegal kid. I was just carried on. I went through all the 60s stuff and I went away to college. 
And the funny thing was, I never went to church. In four years of college, I never went to church in Bloomington, Indiana, never. I don't remember thinking spiritual things at all in college. It was like I left home and church just doesn't exist. It obviously it hadn't made an impact on me to, you know, I went to church because my dad, it was, it was the family business. And I was, re, I was sensitive and religious at various times, but not, obviously didn't make an impact. So I went away to college and I never went to church. You know, I did good at the beginning and bad at the end. Vietnam came. I had no choices. I had to go in the Navy. And the funny thing is, the ridiculous thing is that a memory of church was I went to boot camp and it was mandatory church, Protestant church for me. And I went to church every week. And the funny thing is, is that I liked it in the sense that I, it was safe. Nobody was going to rouse me out and give me trouble. I could sit there, and there was something comforting about it. Maybe it was safe. Maybe it was quiet. I, it was. It was. I appreciated the fact that I could go to go to church. I appreciated the fact that I could I could uh, do that. I remember it as a church type of experience. I remember that, and that that that's telling in a lot of different ways. Obviously, church hadn't made an impact on me, even though I was a pastor's kid. It just hadn't, you know, I went away to college and did geology and, you know, worked on a road when I I bailed on a job in, in Montana. Um, and then I went into the Navy and I went to church and boot camp. Came out of boot camp, never darkened the door of a church. I don't remember going to church in six years you know there might have been something in the navy but we didn't have church call on the ship so in the schools we didn't have church call in the the schools navy schools i went to the only religious thing i did was get drunk on the weekends and i and i found alcohol in in the navy i'd found it in college a little bit but in the Navy, it was like the thing, my go-to thing to sort of cope with all the stress. And I drank in the Navy, but I never, never touched church. Never, there was not, I don't remember a church thing in all of the Navy. I mean, I was, I was raised, you know, and I had experience, religious experiences at church camps and stuff of a certain amount, but nothing nothing massive, nothing particularly massive or anything like that. And I I just don't remember, you know, I don't remember any of that church stuff. I was in the Navy for six years, and again, there was no, no church, no God, no nothing. I didn't, there was no prayer, maybe a couple prayers, you know, in a very difficult stretch on a ship when I thought I was going to, I was actually thinking about, uh, offing myself because of something that happened on, on, on the beach. And I was really depressed and I was getting harassed and I I sort of contemplated killing myself, but uh, I don't know that it was particularly aggressive. It was just it was a thought. You know, I had my experiences and stuff like that, but I got out of the Navy. 
it took me two months or three months to get home. I got out in September, and I got home by Thanksgiving. So I was wandering, and I was relapsing. I'd been sober for a year in the Navy on antabuse, and I, uh, I basically got out of the Navy, and I sort of let the antabuse go, and I had, I had relapses, one, two, three-day things, you know. Again, I wasn't asking for help. I wasn't nothing, nothing. It was just, it was, church had not made a big impression on me. And the final drunk came in Bloomington, Indiana, when I came back to college, to the college town, and asked if I could go back to geology, and they said no, because I'd I'd screwed up. I'd screwed up geology one year, and they didn't want me back. So I was upset. An AA meeting had told me I was going to drink because I'd kept beer in a in my motorhome and I did I picked up and I was I was on a run for oh three or four days I I ended up with an overnight stand with a an older lady I just met came out of that well I realized that basically I was running out of money and I'd do anything to continue drinking you know that's not a good that's not a very good look I didn't like didn't like the look it scared me there's certain things I didn't want to do, and I realized I'd be willing to do just about anybody if they'd buy me a drink. I was at the end of my rope. I was, like, really bad. I was in a McDonald's parking lot in Bloomington, Indiana. Just gotten dropped off, and I just checked out of a hotel, and I just I just, just sat there in a McDonald's parking lot. Still there. And I, I, I didn't cry. I just... I just groaned and said, sweet Jesus, help me. And I wasn't even thinking about Jesus. I was just, this was just like a groan, like, oh, sweet Jesus, help me. I haven't had a drink in 47 years from that. It was only later did I realize that. Only after I came to the Lord did I realize that times before that where I was been drinking for days. I was I was banging out, you know, twelve beers a day or twelve, fourteen beers a day. I was I was banging a case and a half out in a weekend and a beer and it was just it was I was a wreck. Um, and I drove drunk and I pulled into a place that I sorta knew somehow I locked myself out of the motorhome that I was driving. Somehow, I managed to scramble into the window of the driver's side. And I just felt, just, I felt really, really very odd. I felt cold, and I felt just not good at all. It was like, just, I just didn't, I felt very cold and very out of it. And I passed out. Out of the clear blue sky, a voice said to me, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. I sat up and I woke up. And within 12 hours, I went to my first AA meeting. You know, and it wasn't because I decided to go to an AA meeting. It was this, I was, in that particular case, I was about uh, four or five days over the hill from the Navy. And I figured it would look good if I, you know, turned myself into a rehab and went to a meeting. It was all 
drunk addict stuff. But from that period of, of being woken up by a voice to 12 hours later being in, in, a, in an, my first AA meeting, and I realized, in the AA meeting, I realized I didn't have to die. I assumed I'd have to die from drinking, but I heard hope, and I knew I didn't necessarily have to die from drinking. What that voice was, I don't know, but it was providential for sure. I ended up, within four or five days driving home, I ended up in, in, in Boston, in suburban Boston. You know, the thing was, I d- didn't know anything, except I knew that I probably needed to go to AA, because I'd been to AA off and on. So I, I wasn't going to church. you got to understand, I wasn't going to church at all. But I did go to AA. And they did tell me in the early days, you just ask for help. And I asked for help. I didn't go to church. I was, you know, it was just the first two years I just did AA. I was gifted spiritually, so I was able to talk a good spiritual game. Talked about God. I talked about asking for help. I was I, I was gifted that way, and I I. I was able to carry a pretty good spiritual rap going on in AA. And I was I was earnestly asking and I was earnestly seeking. Going to church I didn't do. But I was reading a Bible and stuff like that. I was I was AA spiritual. I was asking for help. I was talking about God. I was doing all of this stuff. But I wasn't it wasn't particularly, uh, there was no church involved. It was just AA, and my AA was my spiritual church. And I talked a pretty good spiritual game, but as life would have it, I fell madly in love or lust with a, with a girl I met in AA. She was broken and messed up, but I was madly in whatever it was. I wanted to help her and take care of her, and you know, it was it was about as sick as you can get. But she was a sweetheart. Turns out she was a Christian, just Jesus person, broken. Oh my God, broken. But she was a Jesus person. I I I would do anything to be close to her. She invited me to a prayer meeting. To a uh, turns out she carried. Catholic charismatic thing going on. I chased her into a prayer meeting and she disappeared and I stayed. Somewhere in that process she was praying for me, people were praying for me. It was a year that Jesus of Nazareth came out and I just, I was ripe. I was just ripe. She was praying and I was going, I ended up chasing her into this this charismatic prayer meeting. I asked Jesus to into my life. It was a difficult period. I was, it was a very difficult stress three days as I f- sort of fought and struggled and finally I surrendered and turned my life over to Jesus. It was like boom, boom. It was like 
whoa, that was, you know, I to this day think that's what they mean by salvation. In a course of a week, I died and rose and died and rose and right, and I realized, wow, he died for me. That, you know, the whole salvation thing sort of came alive for me, and I was a, I turned into a Jesus freak. Church, I didn't, church was, you know, church was Catholic charismatic renewal. Church was varying Catholic churches, and, you know, my love of my life that I wasn't making any time with, she was dragging me around to traditional Catholic, Arch Street in Boston and stuff. It was boring, and it was all, but it was like, Charismatic renewal was something else again. It was it was hopping, and I loved it. And so I just sort of dabbled in Catholic stuff, got involved with a young prayer group, and it turned great until it was... I did my usual challenge authority of the guy that was leading it, and I got hammered. I got hurt, and I got up, and I kept on chasing, and I... I finally finally found a finally found an Assembly of God church in Natick that was going very well at that time. That was my first real committed relationship with the church. And it in this particular church was run by a marvelous pastor and the height of the Jesus movement and he was a sweetheart. To this day that people went to that church are always looking for that church again, and they can't find it. But that period, of I was there for, oh, I want to say 16 years, 8 years, 16 years, something, something like that. I was there quite a while. I came, met somebody, got married, had babies, and then found out the marriage was a, a complete disaster. You know, I had to take the kids and run. I ended up a single parent. But the church was everything to me, absolutely everything. It was the backbone of my life. It was, I mean, we went, it was the child care for the kids when they were young. It was two services on Sunday, morning service and night service, Wednesday night service. You know, I was a traveling service engineer, and people from the church helped out. I had a family. Gradually, AA slipped away, but the church was there. You know, this church was there, and it was the backbone of my single parenthood for a number of years, a number of years. Pastors changed. The other pastor passed away. Uh, I stuck it out. And then, then the sort of the, the reality of churches started to hit. I found out it, it wasn't heaven. It was more like regular stuff. So I've had absolutely marvelous experiences in church, you know, where it carried me, just it took care of me and sheltered me and housed me and became the, the shape of my life. And then it just just changed. 
things changed. It changed. Life happened. Bad stuff happened. Manipulative stuff happened. I knew a lot of people by that time, and I migrated to other places. And I've been sort of itinerant. Never left church, but always sort of going through the process of being disappointed and searching and finding a little something and being disappointed. So I've known, I've known the perfect. I've known, I've known Pentecost at the highest levels, and I've been absolutely emotionally crushed. You know, I've been betrayed, and I've been, you know, all the things that you can have in churches. So, you know, if you're talking about churches and saying, I have trouble selling church to people in recovery because I know that the upsides and downsides, I've been through everything. I've been through excellent churches and utterly terrible churches. I've been through, you know, heaven on earth, and I've been through almost Jonestown, sort of like a just really, really sick six situations. So I think as far as churches go, I have a very broad bandwidth. Very broad. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. So white churches, little churches, big churches, huge churches, high churches, low churches. And I'm just telling you the story because I've seen, I've seen liberal Protestant churches, and I've seen uber-sick Pentecostal churches, and I've seen magnificent Pentecostal churches, absolutely magnificent. I've been to prayer meetings and camp meetings and luxuriated in the spirit and been appalled by some of the stuff that happened. Been there, done that in every possible way. But as I talk about churches, the one underlying thing that I have to say is is that Jesus is not bound by the churches. In other words, the elevation or depravity of the church takes nothing away from who Jesus is and how, how effective he is at changing lives. I've learned that. He's never left me, ever, ever, ever left me. He's never failed me. He's always been there. In the worst of times, when the betrayal was at its worst, when when things were just absolutely awful, and and it was it was it, my heart was gutted out. He would come to me and he would comfort me, and, and and I knew that it was him and he was comforting me. And it it took the sting out of it. Didn't remove it left a scar but I knew that he knew and I knew that he cared and that's what I can say about churches that the churches failed often succeeded some a lot of times but failed a lot but Jesus absolutely never failed and he always had marvelous Christian people to hold me up and help me and stuff like that so you know, that's my, my word about churches is that churches are people. And there are good, marvelous, wonderful people in every church. And there's also completely 
disappointing and abominable people in churches too, full of pomposity and full of everything religious and appalling backstories, appalling secrets that are crushingly disappointing. Juxtaposed against some of the most marvelous, wonderful saints that I have ever known in my entire life. Um, we have a say. As I'm getting older and my kids are getting older, we, we know a lot of people and we end up by ending to go on funeral, especially during COVID. And what we have is, is we have a saying, so-and-so passed away. And inevitably, on some of them, well, that's a no-doubter, which is basically saying that that's got heaven all over it. That's, that's just, there's a no-doubter. There's no doubt Jesus had something to do with that life. She was a, she or she was an absolute sweetheart. It was just like, it was just marvelous. It was just tasted so good to be around them. They were so ministering and so wonderful, and the, the Jesus on them was just so refreshing. And there were other people that were talked a good game, but were like just awful people appallingly often a great show of religiosity and all the facts betrayed us the absolute lack of it it was all show and no no substance so and and, and the hurt and the pain that came out of those people was impressive but it was the good people the wonderful people the, the sweet anointing of some people that kept me going and and I think that that's what I want to leave this podcast with is that no matter what the church somehow or other Jesus is in the place just like a bad band a bad band can can and a bad sound can absorb all the good and churches live on the spirit and human beings can blow a trumpet and make it so you can't hear the Spirit because the Spirit doesn't compete sometimes with them. All the carnal, just human stupidity overshadows things until God just decides, no, we're done. When he moves those people out, just moves them out. And if you go to a church and it... It, it maybe it's loud, but you go to a church and a still, quiet voice of the Spirit will tell you. It's not like it's loud like a rock car. It's just like the still, quiet smoke. The Bible talks about that sometimes. The Spirit wasn't in the thunder or the lightning. The Spirit was in the still, silent, quiet voice. And churches are like that. Churches are like that. It's the still quiet voice of the spirit that unbelievably exquisite quiet voice that sort of soaks into your heart and changes your heart after a while of being in the lord you're just it's like the bible talks about springs of living water it's that quiet cool soothing touch of the spirit that makes everything right 
and in my life I'm 74 and uh, you know it is like the deer panteth after the water it is like my heart does pant after that sweet sweet anointing of God sweet 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 anointing of God gives me hope gives me hope because someplace that sweet sweet anointing is there and as I pray in tongues and I worship myself the sweet sweet spirit comes and makes it okay makes it okay and it eases the pain of the bad times hurt times in church and reminds me that there's there's nothing so majestic and so sweet and wonderful the spirit is is so sweet and so wonderful it reminds me of the waters in montana of a stream coming out of the mountains crystal clear and cold to make your teeth ache just absolutely gorgeous clear clean cold water back when i was in college and in montana for geology field camp oh god that's sweet cold clear water and i remember and i remember the sweet sweet exquisite anointing of the, the that Catholic charismatic renewal, the sweetness of it, and the, and a touch of the spirit, and a touch of the ability to 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 move in the spirit and prophesy in the spirit and to use the spirit, precious beyond anything you can imagine, just absolutely anything, and you counterbalance that with experiences in church that were anything but that. They were they were crass and loud and. And, and full of ego and stuff like that, and you just you just knew that wasn't it. That's loud, blowing shafars and doing things and being. It was like, no, this is not it. And that's what I learned. What I learned in ch- churches is it's not the church. It's not sometimes some of the people. But it is some of the people operating in a spirit that bring heaven so close, so, so close. You can, you can feel it. You can t- taste it. You know, your, 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 your spirit just hungers, just absolutely hungers for it. And, and you, 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 your life is... Is, is, is changed and you're, no matter what's going on, your heart hungers and search. You're never satisfied. I'm never satisfied except in the spirit. And like a fool, I do things that quench the spirit, but come back and a spirit settles and moves on me. It's like, oh my goodness. Oh Lord, just stay. Don't go. Just stay. That's when church is at its absolute best, when the spirit moving, irregardless of the type of church, the spirit moves in a in a mainline church that's singing good hymns, and it moves in Pentecost, singing choruses, and it moves in camp meetings, even though the pastor's an idiot. It's that sweet, sweet, sweet anointing, that still small voice that speaks to you, and 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 it. And it moves your heart 
stirs your spirit. It's like you're in a desert and you walk out and you're, you find an oasis of, and, and, and you, you have to live in the desert a little bit, but your heart is always panting after the, the oasis and the, and the spring. That's my experience in church. It's like not every church is a spring of living water. Some are deserts, loud, brawling deserts, but some are springs of living water. And for people in recovery, I just want to say, don't judge church by all churches. Seek and ask the Lord to show you his spirit. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. God will give you the water of his spirit, but you have to seek it. Can't demand a lot from him. You just say, Lord, just take me to the well. Take me to the well. Let me drink of the spirit. Let me drink of the your, your presence, Lord Jesus. Just let me do that. And that's my church experience. It's been horrific, and it's been exquisite, absolutely exquisite. And the precious thing is, if I settle myself and I get in the Spirit, I can be in that oasis, that spring, and it, it, it revitalizes my heart. And that's what keeps me going, is the fact that I know there's drinks of water in places. And I know in the end... I'll be submerged in that spirit and never have to leave, never, never, never have to leave. And I'll be with people who are amazing, human and amazing, utterly human and amazing, broken people who are amazing, beautiful in their brokenness and their simplicity, human and accessible and just marvelous in their in the in their the tapestry of their lives and their who they are and what they are and and someday I'll go and I'll see all the brothers and sisters in the Lord I know and they'll it'll be as they say a sweet sweet by and by you know it'll be safe and secure But today isn't necessarily safe and secure. It is a pilgrim's progress, a walk, a walk and going from, like walking in a desert, going from pool to pool, from spring to spring. But thank God the Lord leaves oasises that we can drink of the water and then move on. And if anybody's in recovery, Thank God you're asking for help. Thank God you're asking for help. But I I dare you, I dare you to ask Jesus to show himself. I dare you. I dare you completely. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just saying what I said at some point. I said, Jesus, I don't know whether I believe, but Jesus... Show me. And he did. He did. Completely, absolutely, and utterly showed me. And do the 
AA thing, it's marvelous. Do the God thing, it's marvelous. But at some point, have the courage to say, Jesus, if you're real, show me. And then be prepared to be shown. If you want to talk about it, you know, leave a comment on the podcast. If you if you want to, uh, you know, su- subscribe to the podcast. That's what I talk about. I enjoy. I love AA. I just adore AA. But I know how much some of them hate talking about Jesus, and I'm sorry. You know, I'm I'm nasty enough to talk about Jesus. I don't do it at meetings. So if you're an AA and you're an NA or whatever, you can pick and choose these things. I'll put a warning. Maybe I'll put a warning on a podcast. Jesus taught. But just listen. I, I dare you to ask Jesus to show himself. I dare you. I dare you. But I want you to know Anybody in AA or NA or OA or whatever, you know, I love you to pieces. I really do. That doesn't mean I like you, but I love you to pieces. You're important to me. So contact me, let you know if I think I'm an idiot, and I'll make argument for what I know. And I love AA. I mean, I think the church is, you know, depressing sometimes. And AA is marvelous. Jesus is everything to me, and that's just the way it is. You know, like they say in AA, don't drink, go to a meeting. And I think that's enough for me. This is uh, Chuck at Lazarus Recovery Podcast. Just uh, don't drink and go to a meeting. Thank you much. Bye-bye.